Good evening. How's everyone? Welcome to some new faces that I hadn't seen in a long time. I, um, I'm going to start out by, actually, the, you know that song in that introduction you did is right exactly where I'm going tonight. And uh, I think uh, you may have seen it online or not, but the, the theme or the subject matter tonight is, Where Are You, God? Question mark. And so for all you spiritual people, you probably never had this question come up, but for all of us sluggards and uh, people who really need God desperately, we've probably asked this question a lot. Uh, I'm going to start off by asking you this, and you don't have to respond. It's kind of rhetorical. I'm going to go into it. Have you ever had this experience? One day, life is good. You're moving along, enjoying God's presence, his activity in your life. Things are sorted out, and you're good with God and with mankind. And, you know, life is just good. It's happening the way it's supposed to be. You actually start loving people, and things are going well. And then, um, and then it isn't. Suddenly, it seems that you look around for God in a moment of panic, and he's nowhere in sight. Anybody ever had that experience? Am I the only? Oh, me and Paula have. Okay. All right. I know all of us have. Because at some point in time, things have gotten tough. And all of a sudden, we look to see where he was. He's, our security blanket is gone. Um, so the question is, what happened? What happened in that moment that caused me to lose a sense of his presence? I'm going to talk about that tonight. Where did he go? Was it, and I always ask myself, was it something I did? Have I offended you, Lord? Have I done something that was wrong? Uh, if, I, if I'm aware of it, of course, I know it's sin, and I know I need to deal with that by doing what? That's exactly right. I need to go confess and agree with him about calling it sin and get that squared away right away. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about I think I'm doing okay, and suddenly... Uh, He's just gone. He's just missing in my experience. So I wondered, um, what does the Bible have to say about a God who is MIA? You ever thought about that? These people are in the Bible for a reason, folks, and they're just like you and me, just so we'd have some reference in our identity to humanity. We understand we're all about the same. Can we say that? So I'm, I'm looking at some different things here. I'm just going to go through them rather quickly. But I'm going to start with um, this example. There's a psalmist writing in Psalm 44. And he says this. Um, he's talking, he's crying out to God as he writes in his song or his journal, whatever he's doing here. He said, why are you still hiding from us? Why are you still ignoring our suffering and our trouble? So this is a, just a general cry for the nation of Israel. It's a, a psalmist. So one of the leaders in, in the nation of Israel is saying, you know, things aren't going so well, and I don't know where you are. What has happened to our relationship? There's another passage in Psalm 88. It says, this is David speaking. He asked God specifically, he says, why do you turn your head and brush me aside, O eternal God? Why do you turn your head and brush me aside? Or why are you avoiding me, he says. So initially, David saw the whole idea of God's absence as a, some kind of a rejection. It's, it's, what's wrong that you would turn your face from me and walk away? 
And he's thinking that maybe the guy had brushed him off and he was somehow disqualified or not good enough in his experience. Are you tracking with me? Okay, so I'm going somewhere with this. So another question came up in Psalm 89. I just picked a few. There was plenty, let me tell you, in the Psalms. There's a lot of Psalms of lament. (laughs) But this is another common question I saw in Scripture, which uh, is found in Psalm 89. And the psalmist cries out to God, So many times he asked the same question in different ways. I couldn't write them all down. It would take too much time. Isn't that incredible? He just says it this way, and he says it this way. He comes back and says it this way, and he poses the question another way. But the gist of the question is this, Lord, how long will this go on? Will you hide yourself forever? How long will your anger burn like fire? So he was seeing the absence of God in his life as anger toward him. He was feeling rejected and set aside and disqualified. You with me on this so far? All right. So this, I want to make sure this isn't just a Bob problem. I'll just sit down if it is, okay? <laughs> I think it's common to all men and women. So nevertheless, if you're like me, you will too often come to the conclusion. Somehow, I always look at this and say, okay, what did I do? What's up? How did I blow the deal? You know, we had a, we had a deal. And you said, if I would, you would, and somehow you're not, and so I must not have. Isn't that the way that goes? And so I go to even our friend Job, and I just hate to preach out of this book. (laughs) But here it is in chapter 13, and the guy's got something to say. And he says, how many sins have been charged against me? Show me the list. How bad is it? That's where he's gotten to with God. There must be something. There must be an incredible list because of what's going on in my life. And I need to know, what is it? What is charged against me? And he says, why do you stay hidden and silent? Why do you treat me like I'm your enemy? Hmm. See, I believe the answer to David and Job's question and Bob's question is the same. I think it has something to do with understanding the ways of God. You with me? Do you understand our understanding is not the same as his understanding? We don't know what he knows, and we don't understand his ways. And so we see things in a, in a, in a vapor. It's a cloud. And we don't see clearly, and we interpret things incorrectly. I may have shared this story with you in some form or another, and if I have before, I apologize. But I'm going to share this story of my personal walk with God in this issue and if I've, you've heard it before just bear with me don't hiss and boo so this is this is what happened to me in the midst of a circumstance um it's back a few years ago it was at a time when i was simply overwhelmed with circumstances career relational and medical the horizon was dark for me and i couldn't get a breakthrough anywhere it was bad It was bad. And I remember, it seemed like regardless of what I did, the more time I spent, I found that I became more and more depressed and discouraged. I couldn't dig my way out of the hole. You ever been just depressed or discouraged to to a really serious? Well, during this time, I had a visit from God that was really, um, it was simple, and yet it was so profound that it was life-changing. He, he finally showed up and began to talk to me in the midst of this. And um, 
is, it, then he spoke to me, and I, and I pulled this right out of my journal, so I'm, I'm going to read to you some of the notes that we dialogued about. He said, Bob, he says, I want you to stop what you're doing because it's too much for you. It's more than you can deal with, and it's stealing your life joy every day. And what you're doing is, is, you, is killing you. I want you to stop it. If you continue, you will go further into despair and hopelessness, and so I want you to do something right now. It was like a, a sobering moment. He said, right now, I want you to stand up. And I said, okay. He said, no, I mean it. I mean stand up physically. So I stood up, and he says, and I want you, and he says, by the way, this is a visual lesson. It, it, and not only am I saying this to you, but I want you to demonstrate it. This is one of these prophetic moments where he says, I want you to walk and do these things so that visually and in the auditory, you're getting it all. And he says, I want you to stand up. Now, I want you to turn away from what you're looking at, this chaos and uncertainty and fear and despondency. I want you to turn away from that. He said, no, I mean it. I mean, turn around. So I actually turned. He says, turn toward me. Face me and don't look over your shoulder again. Now, he says, now I want you to ask me what I know about these circumstances. And I want you to listen carefully. All these overwhelming issues of your life, go ahead and ask me what I know about your life and what's going on. Now, he says, now wait for my response. And when I answer, I want you to write it down in your journal. And I want us to have a conversation about this. You and me, we're going to dialogue about what you're seeing and how you're interpreting. And I'm going to feed back to you the truth so that you can then decide what you want to believe. Does this make sense so far? Okay. So now, and then he says, when you get this and we've moved through it, and you feel like you're getting some uh, answers, I want you to begin to respond to me. And uh, by that I mean talk to me. We're going to continue to dialogue about this because I'm going to teach you a new way of doing life. I don't want you to go back to what you were doing. It was not good for you to look at life and dwell on that in a way that's depressing and despondent. And he says, now when you have your perspective and the truth which is, by the way, he said, my perspective is the truth. When you have that and you own it, then I want you to respond by turning back to your circumstances, and I want you to engage them with the power of my word. I want you to go out and do what I've told you to do with whatever faith you have and watch to see that I'm faithful. So that was a story that I wanted you to have. I've shared this for years in my recovery groups because it's simple. It's called the S-T-A-R principle, stop, turn, ask, respond. But it was just a little bullet thing, and it wasn't fleshed out. You understand? I got, I got some nuggets there, but I didn't get the whole message. And so in our dialogue and over the period of time, uh, he's continued to give me more and more on this, so I understand it better. But it, it's so simple. It works for people even for people who are not churched, who want to connect with God. I said, well, let's just stop what we're doing and look away from that problem for a minute. Let's turn to God and let's ask him what he says. And we actually do that. We sit down and we say, God, what are you? And it's amazing how many people can hear God's voice in that moment because God is in this. 
When God's in something, he can overwhelm anything. He can overcome any beliefs. He can sit down with someone who doesn't even believe in him and speak to them in a way that they understand it was God, especially if they have someone there to help them with what's going on. So we've done that. And so for years I've taught this principle. But see, here's the problem with this little ditty was that it came to me, like I said, in a bullet list, and I didn't have it all put together. You know, you can, you can have the dots, but you have to connect them. You understand what I mean? And so you, to understand how this works, it's one thing to get that. It's another thing to explain it to someone and practice it and be able to articulate it in a way where they can go do that. So I struggled with that for some time. There was something missing in this that just really bothered me. And there was a, there's a piece in there that I couldn't make the connection. Because sometimes I waited, and I waited, and I waited, and I didn't hear God. And, uh, and so more questions began to form, like the things with David and with the, um, the other psalmist and with Job. I asked the questions, what's wrong? What's gone wrong here? That I, what have I done? What is charged against me? How did I do this wrong? Is there sin in my life? What went wrong in this moment where I can't hear you? And you told me to ask, and now I sit here, and nothing's coming from you. You okay so far? Uh, this is not heresy. This is just humanity. It's life. This happens. Sometimes we can't connect with God, and I want you to know there's a reason. So over the past few months, I've had a, a lot, i read a lot about this difficulty in experiencing God's presence because I wanted to be able to help people make that connection. I, I'm desperate to help men connect with God and hear him because let me tell you, if you've ever experienced God, you won't have any problem believing him for the rest of your life. It's like an anchor, isn't it, Chip? It's like an anchor in your soul and you know he's real and you can always look back at that and say, I remember when you did that. And you were real to me, and I believe you can do that again. So I, I've been studying, and uh, through, I've been reading tons of material, a lot of scripture, a lot of books from my mentors. And by the way, my mentors are people who uh, I don't know me, and I don't know them, but I read everything they write. And they're good mentors. They're people I trust that have, they have good sound doctrine, and they have, a, they have an experience with God that I want. One, one pastor told me once, he says, Bob, you need to hang out with people who love Jesus more than you do because it's contagious, right? Here's something, you, you get a hunger for it. So there's something about that that's infectious. So I read and I read, and it seems that David and Job and Bob aren't the only ones that have had this problem. In fact, every person I read who had any mileage had been here and had struggled with hearing God, especially during crises and times when they were desperate. And you would think God would just show up and answer prayers, wouldn't you? Here I am, right on cue, but you know what? He doesn't do that. See, according to at least, well, I think it's Graham Cook said, there's at least two seasons we have to look at. One season, a season, it's called a time of manifestation. You know what manifestation is? God's here and he's right here. He is present. He's answering questions. He is, he is heavy in the room. His glory is here. When we worship, there's a connection. God is immediate. He's right here. That's a time of manifestation. We love that, don't we? 
Don't we love the time of manifestation? We're always looking for it. We go to conferences and all kinds of neat meetings, and we're looking for times of manifestation. But there's another season that's not a season of manifestation, and it's just as real and much more common, and it's called a time of hiddenness. Hiddenness. This is... Um, a time when you don't feel his presence in the same way doesn't mean God's abandoned you. It doesn't mean that he's written you off as a lost cause, but he's hidden. It's those times that all you have to rely on is your faith in what you believe about God because you don't feel it in your emotions. Emotions are a terrible master. They're a great servant. They're a terrible master. If we rely on emotions, our life will be a roller coaster. So in these times of hiddenness, when we're not in direct presence of God, all we have to hang on to is what we believe about him that we've gotten from Scripture, from prophecy, and from our observation of other believers. That's why community is so important. This is where we get these kinds of things. So the time of hiddenness is about possessing the things of God through his word by faith. So there's something that happens in hiddenness that never happens in manifestation. It's called transformation. Now, you can, there can be transformation in manifestation. You can have the experience of God coming to you, and it can change your life. But there's something else that happens in times of hiddenness that requires your diligence and your discipline and you pressing into God, and he's all into that because he designed that to happen. So what's going on in these times of waiting? God seems to be preoccupied with something else besides answering my questions. Can you believe how rude that is? I'm, I mean, I'm very important, and, it's, and I need him. As soon as I pray, I need him to respond because, you know what? He's supposed to. But, you know, he has a whole different set of rules. He has his agenda, and I have mine, and I'm learning to give my agenda to him and join him in his because his is eternal. It's kingdom and it's perfect. So in my opinion, God has gone deeper in this time. I think in the time of hiddenness, God has gone deeper into the spirit and hidden himself like in an inner room, and you can hear him calling to you, but you can't find him. But he's saying, come to me. I remember the first time I heard him say this to me. He said to me, Bob, come up here. Now, that sounds like something out of Revelation, doesn't it? But that's what I heard. And what he was saying was, I have a new experience for you, and if you're willing, I'll bring you up here and let you see what I see. It was a wonderful time. It was a time of hiddenness where the, just, we had this wonderful dialogue, and he began to speak to me about my perspective, which was skewed. And he, he said and to me, he said, you're like a little boy in a room of adults, and all you can see is kneecaps. Let me lift you up on my shoulder and let you see what I see. We had a wonderful experience, and this is the time of hiddenness. I wouldn't have gotten that in a worship service, maybe, necessarily, but this is a time of focus and silence and just me and him. In Psalm 42, David wrote this, this psalm, and I think it's, he's evidently apparently depressed. <laughs> Can you imagine? Even King David got depressed and morose, despondent. And I don't like to dwell on that, but sometimes we go there, and I'm going to tell you how to get out of that place. Because he says here, and it occurs to him suddenly, have you ever become just aware all of a sudden that you don't feel good, you feel yucky? It's everything just feels a little heavy. So it occurred to David that he was there. 
And so he begins to speak to himself. And so what do, you, what do I mean by that? He starts addressing himself and he begins to minister to his soul. And he says, why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become restless and disturbed within me? What's up? What's going on inside of you that needs to be tended to? He says, now, and he instructs himself, now hope in God and wait expectantly for him. For I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. And then he says this, in a couple of verses down, he says, deep calls to deep at the thundering sound of your waterfalls. So he's saying something. He's reminding himself that, that he can come out of this because God's been good in the past when he was there. And he remembers his history with God, and he knows that God, the deep, calls to the deep in him. And when he responds, they meet in that deep place. That's the place of hiddenness. This is too heavy. Okay, this is just where I live, so bear with me. In this deep place, I think it's Galatians 5, talks about something called the fruit of the Spirit. Do you know those, the fruit of the Spirit are the characteristics of God himself? They're not just good things that we get. It's things we become. It's not like gifts that they're given to you regardless of your condition. This is something that God develops in you through the circumstances of life. So in Galatians 5, it includes God's spirit, includes love and joy and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all these things we love to practice, don't we? <laughs> Better get to loving because this is what his agenda is. He's on, he's on this. So do you understand that patience and faithfulness and things like self-control only come as we weather the circumstances of life? You don't get patience and faithfulness and self-control sitting on the couch. <laughs> they don't just develop they, in a vacuum. They develop in, in circumstances that are difficult. And they come to us in a place of hiddenness as we're developed there by the Holy Spirit. And this suddenly, when I read James 1, it just meant something totally different to me. As I thought about this and put it in the context of this message, when James says this, he says, Consider it all joy, brothers. Yeah. When you encounter various trials or temptations and, and know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its per perfect result so that you may be perfect. Now, it's not perfect in the sense of, oh, yeah, I'm really holy. It's the perfect in the sense of I'm becoming mature and complete. It's the work the Lord does in making me become in this transformation like his son Jesus. But he answers this, and he says in verse 5, but if any of you lacks wisdom, anybody here lack wisdom? He says, just ask God, by the way. He's perfectly willing to give it to you. And don't doubt that you'll get it. Believe in faith that you'll get what you ask for because you're going to need it to endure to have these things happen in your life through endurance. Now, how we wait in this time of developing patience and faithfulness and self-control is absolutely critical to our development. You see, let me tell you what patience is and what it's not. Patience is not just the ability to wait. People think if they're waiting, they're being patient. No, it's how you wait that defines patience. How we act while we're waiting 
It's the person we are as we wait that defines patience. And the more mature that patience is, it changes the way we wait. Anyone can while away his time in in mindless activity. I do it all the time. I turn on the TV set, and that's not patience. That's not waiting. That's tuning out. God's not talking about it. He says, I want you to tune in in this hidden place and focus, and we're going to build something here. So this hearing from God thing, I've heard people say this, this hearing from God thing is impossible. He's got my number, and if he wants me, he can give me a ring. Well, you know, let me tell you something. doesn't work very well like that, folks. You may be waiting a long time for a phone call. And let me tell you, in your life, you'll be calling him before he calls you because he'll arrange it. Bible is clear when it says, draw near to God, he will draw near to you. And the implication there is, we shared this in our men's group the other night, drawing near to God doesn't mean I initiate something and God responds. He's already put a seed in me of hunger that says I'm seeking to find him. And if you will turn that seed or that hunger toward me, he says I'll respond to it. I gave you the gift of faith. Now turn it toward me and I'll come close to you. Does that make sense? So, I think David's words imply there's two kinds of waiting, and I just want to nail this and I'll be done. There is a passive waiting, and there's an active waiting. And there's a difference. Passive implies to me is a kind of a fatalism. Well, whatever comes will come. Whatever may be will be. Is it that song, Janet? Whatever may be. Que sera, sera. Yeah, all the only people my age would know that problem. So, but it, does, it means I can't just turn off and call that waiting. That is so passive, and God doesn't respond to that well. What he does respond to is what David calls an expectant waiting. This is an active waiting that says, I'm going to focus my attention on you, Father. And though I can't see you, I'm going to look for you. In, in marriage... We teach communication. There's a, an act of listening. Oh, you men, listen to me now. And it means we make eye contact, and we, we give good posture and body language that shows and implies that we're paying attention when our wives or girlfriends or whoever may be speaking. Same thing with God. This active waiting is expectant. Now, what you expect is based on what? Let me get this right. I'll get the language right. How you wait has everything to do with what you're waiting for. Now, depending on your relationship with the Lord, how you see him and who you think he is will determine what you're waiting for. If God is nonchalant and he's casual and he doesn't really care about you, you won't expect much. But if you know better... And you have a clue to who he is, you're going to expect a lot. How do you come to know who God is so that you can expect a lot? I'll give you a clue. You can start here. He wrote this handbook of his relationship with mankind so that you could take a clue as to who he is. Read the whole thing, just not one verse. 
You have to read it in context. But as we read through Scripture, as we study that, as we read mentors, as we communicate with each other, we get a better picture of who God is, and it gives us a greater expectation of who's coming, and it makes us more inclined to wait in an active way. You make it's making sense. All right. So. What is my point? What am I trying to say here? That sometimes God is not just right there, but that never means he's abandoned you. Go read your Bible. You can start with Hebrews 13, 5 if you want to, where he says in the Amplified, I will never, I will never, I will never leave you or forsake you. No, not ever. It never occurred to me. He said, that's not my nature. It's not who I am. I will always be there for you. Now, you can believe that or not, but if you believe that, it'll give you a greater anticipation and expectation of his arrival in times of hiddenness. God will call all of us into a place of hiddenness because something happens in that time of testing of our faith that causes it to grow. You with me? So my, I guess my, my counsel to us is to recognize that in times when God is not apparent or he's not answering our prayers immediately, it is well. It is well with our souls because we believe something else. We know him to be true, to be the lover of our souls, and it's just a matter of time. So trust in him. Give all your faith to him and find that hidden place with him and he'll grow you. I want to read something to you from Psalm. It's in the Message Bible. I want to do this in honor of Eugene Peterson um, because he did a wonderful job of translating Scripture. He's deceased now. I think he passed away, what, a couple of weeks ago or a month ago, something like that. But this is, um, this is a picture what we talked about tonight, and I'll close with this. Psalm 40 in the Message Bible. It says, I waited and waited and waited for God. <laughs> At last, he looked. Finally, he listened. He lifted me out of the ditch and pulled me from deep mud he stood me up on a solid rock to make sure I wouldn't slip. He taught me how to sing the latest God song, a praise song to our God. More and more people are seeing this. They enter the mystery, abandoning themselves to God. Isn't that beautiful? I think that's a beautiful picture of what we're talking about tonight. This is a mystery, and God's calling us into the mystery, not that we have to understand it, but that we would enjoy it. And in the enjoying, in the presence, as we see him, we begin to see him clearly. We move from glory to glory to glory, and we're transformed into the image of his son, Jesus. Amen? Somebody say amen. Okay, and I'll pray. Well, Father, thank you for tonight, and thank you for this, um, what I believe is a, a wonderful message right from your heart. And I just pray that it would just pierce our hearts, it would penetrate to the point of belief, and that we would actually go try this, and to try to find you in the midst of, um, of hiddenness, knowing that you're there and you want to be found, that if we draw close to you, 
you'll draw close to us. I speak peace to God's people. I speak rest. I ask Holy Spirit you would teach us how to wait actively, expecting the lover of our souls to come to us. And I thank you that you're more than just a, an enthroned God King, but you're also the one who loves us dearly. And I bless your people tonight, and I thank you for who you are in Jesus' name. Amen.